Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here with Keith Townsend. Welcome to another sponsored episode of the Greybeards on Storage podcast, a show where we get Greybeards bloggers together with storage assistant vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. Pleasure to introduce an old friend, Thomas Coughlin, president of Coughlin Associates. I saw Tom at the recent Flash Memory Summit in Santa Clara. Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's new with Flash Memory? Sure. Glad to do that. And thank you for inviting me to the show. So um, I've been involved in digital storage and memory since uh, for about 40 years, actually over 40 years now. And I've uh, worked at uh, uh, engineer by background, so engineer, engineering manager, and executive at several companies. Uh, making storage products. Originally, actually, it started out magnetic recording. Yeah, uh, with, didn't we uh, all? <laughs> floppies, yeah, floppies, tapes, hard disk drives. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And uh, about 20-some uh, years ago, I ended up, uh, after, uh, uh, you know, being laid off from a failing uh, uh, startup company in uh, the Bay Area, um, I ended up uh, starting my own company. So I'm, I'm still based in Silicon Valley, and I have uh, my... Uh, uh, consulting company that I've run uh, for, for many years now. Uh, I do uh, consulting of various sorts, uh, uh, technical work as well as market and uh, uh, market and technology analysis. Uh, I also write things. I do a regular column on storage and memory for Forbes.com. Mm. Um, I do uh, reports, uh, uh, well-respected reports on uh, digital storage and memory and application topics. I do a report on uh, uh, digital storage and media and entertainment that I've done for, for several years. And also another one on uh, emerging memory, non-volatile memory technologies. So, what was so your, that's more. What was your role at, yeah. at Flash Memory Summit? So I was I was the program chair for the Flash ah, Memory okay. Summit. Okay. Yeah. And I've been involved actually in uh, conferences uh, for, for uh, decades. Uh, I started the Storage Visions Conference, which was a partner show to the Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, ran that for for uh, many years, and also another show uh, focusing on digital storage in professional media and entertainment called Creative Storage. Mm, 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 yeah. And then I was a. Uh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask. So, Tom, it's pretty niche uh, storage event. Everyone asks me every year if I'm going. I should go one year. Uh, <laughs> the, how was the audience after a few years? So, I the audience. Uh, this show, of course, we. Uh, uh, last year, there was no Flash Memory Summit in 2021. Uh, there was a virtual event in 2020. The last physical event was uh, 2019. And I would say we were about uh, 70, 70, about 70% uh, in attendance for what we were in 2019. That's, that's very um, good compared to what's going yeah. on in the rest of the industry, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm hearing I, uh, the you know VMware, VMware Explorer or VMworld, I'll always call it. I think they're looking at less than half of what they usually pull in. Yeah. 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 Well, I was at the CES show earlier this year and that was uh, way down both uh, in attendees and exhibitors than it usually is, for example. Yeah, so. The other thing I noticed was the floor seemed like it was pretty big and, it, and the booths were huge and they, they were expensive booths. <laughs> I mean, I remember oh. a couple of years back, they were, you know, they were not much at all. Yeah, Kioxia had a two-story booth, for example. Yeah, uh, yeah, honest to God. I haven't seen that since VMworld. <laughs> <laughs> there were some big, uh, there were some big booths there, and, and uh, all the big names were there. Uh, we had keynote talks by 
um, all the uh, all but one of the major yeah. uh, flash memory uh, manufacturers. Uh, Micron was not there, right? Uh, but they had their own little event uh, that was in the uh, Levi Stadium across the way from from uh, huh. from the flash memory summit. I guess I wasn't invited to that. I'll have to talk to my friends at Micron. <laughs> you know, I was not Micron this game because we're going to get into the two hundred. Uh, and Micron is a customer of mine, and I wasn't invited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, they, had, I think they pre-announced that they had reached 200 layer 3D NAND kind of thing, wasn't that the yeah, case? Yeah, I think they're 232. They're, they're 232. 232. They announced that uh, the week before the Flash yeah, Memory Summit, think. and then at the Flash Memory God, Summit, yeah. Solidyne uh, announced. Uh, I think it was 238 uh, layers. Solidyne or SK Hynix announced 238 layers. So they got. Six layers over on, uh, on Micron. <laughs> <laughs> if, if layer, if layers is the only thing that ca- that matters, which it is yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought Keoxia also announced that they were coming out with something. Uh, uh, well, Keoxia and Western Digital both uh, talked about uh, um, you know what's really involved in scaling flash memory, and only one of the factors is the is what they call the vertical scaling. Yeah. The other factors are the lateral scaling. You know they've got these uh, uh, holes uh, that go down into the uh, into the silicon, and the size of those holes also affects the density. Um, also, what they call logical scaling—that's how many bits per cell. Um, and there's even talk of Q, of PLC. Yeah, I saw PLC mentioned on one of the slides. That was crazy. And one mentioned six layers. One of the companies mentioned six layers. God. <laughs> and then the other one is, is uh, architectural scaling, and that's things like putting the peripheral logic uh, that supports the NAND flash under the NAND. Uh, but then there are also uh, various talk about uh, uh, doing uh, wafer stacking, or, or sorry, uh, die stacking, or even wafer stacking. Mm. And in fact, YMTC that was their big uh, uh, their big claim. Uh, uh, at the conference uh, was that they were doing their third generation of wafer stacking where they build their logic wafers separate from the NAND flash layers. Yeah, yeah. And then they bond them together. Huh. Huh. Tom, this is, this is something that I've been, I, I, I understand like the significance of the manufacturing improvements and processes to get mm-hmm. to over 200 layers. What I'm not quite grokking, like I'm a processor, uh, systems guy so mm-hmm. i get like when someone says this is built on eight nano uh, eight nanometer process versus a 10 nanometer processor versus a five mm-hmm. i know not to necessarily equate that to better performance but i know because of the smaller processes that i'm going to get overall better uh uh energy consumption more cetera, more logic more functionality more yeah, logic yeah. yeah more functionality more cores so even help- yeah yeah, even more cores. So help me mm-hmm. kind of connect the dots on how it's how this is going to help in the packaging of NAN and what that looks like. How that how is this going to change my everyday? Well, I mean that uh, for NAND and uh, increasingly SSDs right now are NVMe based. It means that uh, I can have more memory, uh, more storage available to support, and especially NAND flash and, and data center applications is, is primary storage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it supports the ongoing activities that are that are being done. So uh, a lot of uh, we're generating enormous amounts of data. Um, and when you do like artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning training and things like right. that, there's huge amounts of data are required uh, to be able to do that. And uh, you need to be able to store that on a fast uh, a fast memory uh, technology. And that's where the NAND flash fits in. Um, 
And but another big thing that was going on there too was uh, 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 CXL and some things, interesting things going on with that CXL interface, which is a true memory interface, also based on PCIe, just like NVMe. Right. Before we, a, get, before a, we get off that yeah. uh, 200 layer thing, so doesn't this mean yeah. that we'll get, I don't know, 20 terabyte SSDs, 40 terabyte SSDs kind of thing? Is that is that where this ends up? It could be. Actually, uh, if you want to go way out there, Samsung uh, was talking about a 32 stacked die structure. Uh, that so within 10 years, 32 NAND chips effectively stacked on top of one another. Is that what we're talking exactly. about? Exactly. Okay. Yes. In, t in 10 years, they said they could do a petabyte with that. A petabyte and an SSD? A petabyte and a 32 stacked die SSD, uh, device. I would you know, so I don't know if I want to call that an SSD. It's an SSD of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 really excited with NVMe, especially CXL. I'm excited to look at what this packaging is going to look like. I don't know if we're have we had any talk of what how this stuff is actually going to physically look and how it's going to interface with you know systems when we're looking at CXL versus what we're using today. So on the CXL side, um, so CXL is developed for uh, to to allow more memory to be attached uh, to a system. And also to allow uh, memory to be pooled and uh, behind a uh, CXL switch and then shared between CPUs, server CPUs. And so that was the original uh, push on that. Now, the other thing about it is it allowed you to have different types of memory. They didn't all have the same performance. And part of what, uh, what uh, this was about was uh, a push to use um, what's often called storage class memory. But the particular example was uh, 3D Crosspoint or Intel's Optane. Right combined with DRAM, and Intel was a big promoter of CXL um, as a consequence of that. So, but with um, uh, Intel's decommit on Optane memory, they said they were winding it down. Yeah. Uh, now at the, at the flash memory summit, there were a lot, I mean, CXL was one of the hottest topics there. Yeah, I would say. And, yeah. and there was a lot of folks that were talking about flash memory with CXL interfaces into building flash uh, CXL devices with flash memory, sort of to fill that hole that Optane was hoping was hoping to uh, hoping to uh, to to fill. There, there were, and CXL is going to be the basis for memory in a lot of upcoming, especially on the server and enterprise side uh, systems coming up. Yeah. The other thing I thought that there, there I saw XL Flash and a couple of the others. You know, there had been all of these in the past mentions of mm -hmm. NAND devices that were you know storage class memory uh, wannabe kinds of things, but those things seem to be more sophisticated, more maturing nowadays. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yes. I see that uh, people were really looking at, uh, you know, for instance, on the CXL side of uh, combining NAND flash in a CXL device. Now, maybe it's behind a bunch of DRAM, mm -hmm. but it is bringing, uh, you know, NAND flash and maybe it's single level cell or MLC. Right. It's probably not the high density because then you get, you know, that slows down your performance, but they could use a uh, some form of NAND flash in order to provide a non-volatile memory uh, that supplements uh, DRAM. Yeah. DRAM is still pretty expensive. The price has not gone down on DRAM. Um, that was what Optane was hoping to be able to provide as a lower cost uh, memory that could supplement DRAM. So what, but flash looks so like... So what's your take on the Optane thing? I mean, we all had high hopes for 3, 3, 3DX, <laughs> you know, Crosspoint, all that stuff we thought was going to be taking over the world of storage here. 
Yeah. Yeah. Intel yeah. sent me a terabyte of the stuff uh, to test in my lab, and I did I, they really? I, I wish I could. I wish I could have kept it. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. Like I'm like, wow, this stuff is awesome. It really and, was. You know, it was. I found some really weird stuff. Like I found that we, you had to oversubscribed it at, at a minimum four to one. So I had to take huh. RAM out of my system to get it to work in a, in, in the system. So uh, it was well-engineered stuff. It was really, really cool. It was pretty much seamless in my vSphere environment. I, I really had high hopes. Yeah, no, I, I, did, I did too. Um, and I think they were, uh, the, the big issue they had is that they had to sell it for less than DRAM, but they couldn't make it for less than DRAM. And so they were basically, have been, they were hoping that if they uh, subsidized it, they could get in demand and demand could develop that they would get their manufacturing volume up enough that uh, their costs would go down. And they never reached the level of volume that they needed to reach a break even. Um, estimates, uh, we've got estimates, uh, Jim Handy and I, from uh, the, re the re uh, report we do on emerging memories, that over $7 billion was spent by Intel, um, you know, in supporting uh, the, the Octane launch, you know, uh, and uh, so when they said they're winding down, actually, I went and talked to them at to the, the Intel had a booth at the Flash Memory Summit. Yeah. Even though they're not officially in memory anymore, you know, but a lot of what it was about is to talk to people about what's happening with Octane. So I asked them, so what does winding down mean? And they said, well, we're still supporting our customers. Uh, we're still uh, uh, meeting, you know, uh, demand requirements, and they're and they're qualifying their third generation obtain memory devices, you know, with customers. So, um, you know, this is, it's from that's from, from what they said, it sounded like it's going to be, you know, it's not a sudden, you know, we're just going to drop everything, but they're, uh, they're going to be supporting their customers and trying to build qualifications. Um, you know, it's even possible somebody might buy that, although it's hard, you know, if it never reached the point where it was even break even on manufacturing, yeah, it's hard to see that happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we think Micron would have picked it back up. You know, they know more about it than anybody, right? I mean, God. They do, but they, they're the ones that dropped out first last yeah, year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that, that was, I would imagine that was the catalyst uh, losing, what, at least half of their manufacturing process? Micron built half of the stuff, if I remember correctly? Or more, I think. They built the yeah, bulk well, of Yeah, uh, so that, that yeah. yeah. Huh, huh. They built the bulk of the Optane memory devices. Right, right, right. Well, flash. Yeah, I would. I would. Go ahead. You know, it's a tough thing because if I, if uh, me advising customers, I would still advise them to buy it because it, if you can get it at a good price, it is so much cheaper than DRAM. Yeah. And I'm yes. hoping that there's a somewhat of a fire sale. Uh, <laughs> and the pick it up while you can. The, huh? <laughs> pick it up while you can, and uh, you know, use and those the systems that they typically go in, the lifespan of those systems are not typically long because they you need cutting you know you're getting trying to get the best price for performance mix mm -hmm. and you get rid of the overall and you're going to get rid of those systems in three to four years anyway so yeah. you know yeah. why not yeah yeah well, yeah it's i mean it really did provide a, a, a lower cost uh you know boosted up your memory at a lower cost than dram that's for sure huh, um, huh, huh, huh. and they're uh and you know so i guess see, that leads to the question you know what's the replacement hey, hey. well first of all i think uh uh, and I wrote a blog on this. I said the gifts of Optane for my Forbes blog. Huh. And I've, yeah, and I was talking about, you know, so the development of Optane 
played a role in, for instance, SNEA's non-volatile programming right. model that they developed. Although it was around before Optane was announced in 2015, but you know, it's still, I think it, it impacted an awful lot in terms of what, what, uh, what that was about. The big thing it did, I think, is it, it stimulated the development of CXL, um, which is built around the idea of I could have uh, memory uh, that's available to processors uh, that could be different types of memory with different kinds of performance properties. And I didn't have to build, you know, it could just be handled by that, by the fabric, by the, the, that CXL fabric. And, um, and so I think that, that was one of the big gifts essentially of Optane, you know, to the well, it industry to me with that, CXL. That, you know, the Optane also kind of caused the, the, the creation of NVMe <laughs> as a, as a protocol. I mean, up to that, you know, SCSI was fine and all that, but now, you know, with this stuff that's almost memory class access, you mm -hmm. needed something that, that bypassed all that overhead and stuff like that. So NVMe came out, came into existence in my mind, primarily because of mm -hmm. Optane. Now all the SSDs in the world are using it and everybody else, but including CXL, but you know, so that's an interesting question that uh, that brings up an interesting question. How much of the memory controller stuff out of the Xeon scalable stuff made it into CXL as a result, if any, of that stuff? Because that, that, that was like the secret sauce for Optane plus Xeon is the memory controller and getting the hit rates right, the caching hit rates right, et cetera. I think there was probably a lot of uh, that that went into CXL in order to be able to provide the coherence and the other properties that they needed to have. You know, uh, um, but another interesting thing, by the way, at the Flash Memory Summit is not only CXL what it is, but it's becoming more. Uh, in particular, there is a, uh, a group uh, out of IBM, uh, promoted by IBM, but there's a, a microchip is make it called um, OpenCAPI, right? And OpenCAPI had uh, an initiative that was called the Open Memory Interface, which was a direct memory um, interfa interface but it provided the capability of much more capacity than you can get on uh, capacitive, you know, capacitance limit, loading limited uh, DDR uh, interface. And also it provided a performance that approaches that of high bandwidth memory. So um, that became, that was announced to be, that's going to become part of the CXL initiative. So OpenCAPI and OMI, that open memory interface are now part of CXL. So you may see challenges or at least options to DDR memory with this OMI interface as a part of uh, CXL. So I call that near memory. Right? <laughs> it's directly connected to the CPU. And then far memory with a little bit, with somewhat more latency is the CXL. So we may have whole new um, technologies that could affect the architectures that would be, are, would be promoted in by the CXL initiative, I... including near and far. So you think a DDR is going to go away? I mean, I... God, they just came out with six no. X or something like that, right? No, no, it's not going to go away. But I think uh, uh, be more uh, system architectures are going to have more options. If DDR, if you if a limited amount of memory is fine, DDR works well. Yeah. But if you want an awful lot of near memory, then something like OMI may be a really good option. Huh. 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 The other thing I saw was there was a software. Defined flash, I'm a software embedded flash. I mean, somebody was talking about a software control layer for flash. I mean, it always was right, right within the SSD software control, but this was exposing it to the host, right? 
Yes, there's there was a uh, there well, was software defined um, stuff has been out there for a while. Uh, let's see, uh, Solidime uh, said something they called synergy that they were offering with their SSDs uh, that would provide um, includes a storage. Let's see, uh, software running on a host machine called Solidime Synergy includes a. a they're offering, for instance, on a client device that they're P41, but I believe they're also doing interesting things with that with uh, uh, enterprise and uh, data center uh, uh, SSDs as well. And they said, actually, that's another one of those gifts from Optane that, that uh, some of the capabilities were actually taken from uh, from the Optane project. Of course, Solidime used to be Intel's yeah. NAND flash memory. Right, right, right. But there are there are a number of other things where people are talking about uh, you know uh, new ways of uh, being able to uh, control what's going on inside of the of the SSD. About every every company had their own angle that they were talking there's, about. There's a you know in, in our business, right? Pure and, and mm -hmm. IBM and Hitachi had always done their own flash module kinds of things, and they and, mm -hmm. the, and the contention was by having a a more global view of the of the flash, they could. They could manage it better. They have less uh, write amplification, less over provisioning, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But these guys are making it available so that just about any any operating system in the world, any hypervisor, any of those guys could could just you know pile on a bunch of NAND and and let it rip, right? And they they handle the whole flash translation, the page page management, garbage collection, all that stuff could be done almost at the host yes. level. Yeah, there's a a lot of interesting. Uh... A lot of interesting options, uh, and it's interesting to see how things go there. In, uh, for instance, IBM has their Flash Core module, right, right. Um, you know, which includes a whole bunch of MRAM cache, huh. as and that's part of its secret of performance is that it can uh, hold a lot of metadata and a lot of other stuff in MRAM, which is a lot faster than the NAND Flash and has some more symmetrical read write speeds. They can even do write caching, so that they they use QLC Flash. And they they claim that uh, by uh, you know using the uh, right, the okay, MRAM yeah. as a cache that, that they can get endurance that makes us uh, viable as a uh, um, you know as a as enterprise level storage. Right. So there's some fascinating things people are doing out there. But you're right, uh, some of this a lot of the the uh, SSD guys are trying to democratize some of these control capabilities and and you know whether they can do it get every every kind of feature that the system guys could want um, remains to be seen, but uh, there are some interesting angles. On. There, are inter there are fascinating things that are going on in terms of architectures and products out there right now, and including software yeah, yeah. as well as so, hardware. Tom, one of the things that I'm curious about, me and Ray are uh, enterprise IT focused folks, but flash memory summary, summary obviously is uh, looking at the entire market. Mm -hmm. As we're looking at technologies such as CXL, uh, uh, 200 plus layers. What are some of the use cases that came up? And even uh, uh, just what the, the gap that Optane tried to fill, what are some of the use cases that we're seeing outside of like enterprise IT for some of these advanced technology, memory technologies? Well, first of all, uh, one of the big things that uh, Optane, uh, you know, the use cases that they were successful in was databases. You know, if I can put all my database into this Optane memory, I got really good performance. So they were doing, uh, you know, uh, all that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. So remember the, the people they'd bring in to give talks, the database guys love this, you know, um, 
but uh, the other thing that's, that's, gonna, that's driving memory in general is going to be um, artificial intelligence, machine learning in particular, um, both the training, but then also the inference, you know, the actual use of the models. And so that's going to be driving a lot of these memory architectures. Uh, and the other thing, of course, that's, that's driving the um, uh, big data centers is they're always trying to get the most effective use they can of the resources they've got. And so the idea of doing disaggregation and aggregation of resources, creating virtual machines, spinning them up, spinning them down, virtual machines, containers, spinning them up, spinning them down as needed is critical to them. And, and some of these new capabilities are uh, important in enabling that. For instance, uh, that's what CXL is going to be part of that. Uh, it, so, and, and there's some of the talks, controller guys, they were talking about uh, CXL combined with NVMe over fabric that together they give you this capability of uh, pooling and more efficient management of both storage and memory resources. And I think Marvell was even making some hints that maybe you could tie these together in some way. Uh, fascinating way. And that could span all the way with that. And with, for instance, uh, NVMe native hard drives, you could go all the way from hard drives to the most sophisticated memory technologies that are out there. So you're saying CXL kind of could be similar to, you know, NVMe over fabric, could be attached via something like NVMe over fabric. So I could have my well, they're, they're... shared memory, right? <laughs> shared memory tier sitting out there out and, and have a couple of petabytes of memory and have it shared across a hundred servers or something like that. They were, they were, they had the slide there where they're talking about composable inter infrastructure. And then it points to NVMe, NVMe over fabric and CXL. And they show sort of these paths going uh, up to the servers. They don't go directly from the NVMe over fabric to CXL, but they're, they're, working together through the servers and through their uh the stuff that's connected then then to them either an ethernet switch or a cxl switch so you've got uh you know storage pool which would be heterogeneous storage can include hard disk drives um all the way through uh dpu you know to accelerators like dpus um under the ethernet switch is the nvme over fabric and then on the cxl side you've got expanders accelerators dpus fpgas gpus and all kinds of SOC devices that would be part of that. And they're sort of both serving um, whatever functions that are needed uh, for the servers to be able to do the stuff they're, they're doing. But I think a lot of this is being driven by, we're just getting, yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I've been doing a lot of sponsored work with Micron and just kind of normalizing some of this for the general you know, uh, enterprise architect audience. And that's been the talk track, kind of that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, HPE's machine of five years ago, circa five years ago, mm -hmm. kind of becoming real memory-driven compute. And I think what's really changed is these use cases that you've talked about around uh, AI, ML, uh, database, this need mm -hmm. to compose systems that are way bigger than what you can do in a single uh, node that has to expand multiple systems, but you have, you know, latency problems between memory, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some somatic compute is really, really hard, but mm -hmm. uh, CXL makes it possible. So when you're thinking about being able to give a GPU, uh, you know, uh, let's say a reasonable amount, 64 terabytes of memory, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's, that's game changing for uh, AI ML inference. 
Yeah. 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 And, and these these technologies are going to make that make that possible, and to do it, uh, uh, and even to do it without the high bandwidth memory. That's where you know you might be able to, for instance, that OMI approach, which is now part of CXL. Um, I can get an awful lot of near memory at near HBM speeds, but much higher capacities than I could get with either HBM because it's done with, with wafer stacking, or with DDR. So it's, or I can get the DDR kind of capacities, but I can get them at HBM speeds, mm. which is really. Yeah, I had uh, watched this. Uh, it was actually on the consumer side. I watched a video. Mm -hmm. uh, this consumer YouTuber uh, demoed a AMD graphics card from a few years ago that mm -hmm. had uh, four terabytes of. Uh, that had four terabytes of SSD connected directly mm -hmm. to the to the memory to the uh, adapter, and they were showing the improvements in AI and ML uh, yeah. just from that uh, simple hack. So I can mm -hmm. I can imagine the performance that we get when you couple this with like a true enterprise class solution. I guess I guess the question is, do you think <clears throat> you know <clears throat> today they've got like sixty four gig and eighty gig uh, GPUs? Do you think their memory Constrained? I, I, oh, I know they're memory constrained. Uh, the, the, I, I, Intel, I, I, the Intel folks. The, here's an example. <laughs> they, I, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link in the show notes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ray, there was a Tech Field Day event where Intel came and demoed an Optane uh, challenge between uh, basically Optane and NVIDIA for uh, search. And the Optane system smoked the GPU system for search? just on optimizing for memory. Yes. For search. Yeah. That's search. For, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, GPU stuff is not exactly, well, I guess they're both scalable compute intensive activities. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I could see that for search maybe because the bigger the index, the better the world, <laughs> you know, the faster you can access it. But we're talking, you know, bring in a byte of data, do some computation on it, update some some number here, and do that, you know, ten thousand times at the same instant in time. Uh, you know, these guys got a lot. Of yeah, I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge proponent of getting as much RAM on a GPU as possible, because uh, I think I mean, what's the difference if I can uh, put a whole ML cycle in uh, data set? directly onto DDR on a uh, GPU, you're telling me that's not going to significantly outperform something that has to go over the bus to get the, the data, the ML data? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, the, the it question, seems like The question math. is how many, how many compute engines, I mean, so 4,000 compute engines, all right, maybe 8,000 <laughs> compute engines on a GPU, and maybe those things double over time, but I don't know, you know, 80 gigabytes seems like pretty much enough, enough storage to, to keep those guys fairly busy, but so, so another thing to think about is that uh, this pooling and building these fabrics, you know, for memory and for storage, for that matter, allows you also to put in these specialized processors to offload tasks from the CPU or a GPU. And um, I think we're going to see a lot more of those, a lot more DPUs, a lot more uh, specialized devices uh, that do functions that give you, uh, you know, Either take uh, work away from uh, from the CPU so it can or GPU so they can focus on what they're trying to do, but also provide uh, new capabilities. Um, uh, for instance, IBM their Flash Core module they actually have uh, very fast uh, real time compression decompression they're doing apparently. I understand and compression claim, decompression. You put that in FPGA, yeah. you put that on an SSD. That's yeah, fine. That's yeah. easy. That's yeah. not that's not yeah. a DPU. That's not you know multiple arm 
processors sitting out there, risk five processors sitting out there running containers true. that you load from an operating system. That is true. It's, it's, yeah, but I can I can easily see VM similar to what VMware and NVIDIA and all these guys are doing in the hypervisor and what uh, what AWS has done of taking these menial tasks that the CPU or GPU shouldn't be doing or are less way less efficient at and moving that off of the GPU into some near memory uh, yep. capability that will inc- incredibly increase performance versus what I'm saying, Ray, which is to put more memory directly on a GPU. What if we just offload some of that, some of that overhead uh, and let the GPUs do what they're best at doing? Yeah, but that, that GPU direct and all that stuff, that. These, these guys are trying to get the stuff to the GPUs as fast as they can. You know, it's not like there's a, there's a. Well, what if you don't have to get it to the GPU is the question. What if you can do it outside of the GPU? Yeah. Well, and what if the what if this um, internalized uh, you know network processing actually helps you to get it? I mean, they're even talking about storage devices that are a lot smarter, even know more about the content they've got on them. So, what if you could do a search on indiv- individual the whole compute devices, storage? Right? We've been talking about this thing for now three or four years, Tom. Every time three or four I, years? No, 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 three or four decades. Uh, yeah, I think. No, is I understand. I did, it, I did it back in the nineties. Okay, don't tell. Don't talk to me about this stuff. But the thing is, yeah, it's rare. It's rare when networking is ahead of storage. Yeah, I'm a networking guy. Yeah, I don't think networking is definitely ahead of storage in this. I think what? this is. It has networking is the come on. I can run NSX basically on a switch now. So the networking is uh, the networking is being able to centralize a lot of these functions a lot better than uh, storage has. And I think that functionality that that the, these basic computer science concepts are you going know to how catch much up. code runs on going these storage be, devices, Keith. I mean, we're talking and it's going millions to of lines of code. More. Okay, and, and networking has the same sort of more. you know NOS and all that stuff. Millions of lines of code. I understand that. It's just it's just smarts out there in the end. The question is, each one of these things is a proprietary environment. It's not. <laughs> It's not like it's a hypervisor. It's not like it's an operating system. It's not like it's, you know, I can run a Ray's application sitting out on a DPU. That's what they're doing. So it's, it's the, they're getting there. Yeah. The, the NSX. So yes. uh, as you, uh, as you able to run firewall functions on uh, merchant silicon or even commodity silicon, and you're taking that, capability or need away from the GPU or CPU on the hypervisor is AWS's margin. I can run that firewalls is, on my Comcast modem out here. It's nothing. <laughs> not not at not at petabyte and not yeah. at petabyte data okay, scale. Yeah. There, there's a whole different <laughs> we, we're talking about enterprise class all right, uh, all right. and file level the hyper so once you're able to take that functionality and you able to the I think Martin Casado is I forget who it was, but the uh, uh, they talked about what happens when CPUs, the cost of CPUs reaches zero, and you have these ARM processors running on storage on SSDs. Someone's going to commoditize that. It, I, I just kind of have that's what, true what's missing you... from that environment is, is, is a software enabled framework that's universal. I mean, if I could run a Docker container on my storage, fine. If I have the control that Docker gives for that, that for that functionality running outboard, that's great. The problem is most of these things are very special purpose processors or very special purpose logic. Yeah, I can run encryption or I can run compression or I can run 
you know, buffering or something like that or caching, but they're not letting me run a container. So this is why I said, this is this, not yet. And this is why I said networking is further ahead. There's uh there's P4 for networking, which allows that to happen. The that you can have the disparate uh, types of processors, etc. But you have a single language in P4 to allow you to describe exactly what you're talking about, Ray. This is going to happen. It's got to be storage. a container. I got to be able to write it in Python. I got to be able to to run it on my my Linux system and then run it on my storage and run uh, it on my. I network. don't know if you have to run it in Python. I think you have to be able to run it in a commonly accepted language, like the. What the networking folks are doing are not containers. They're doing uh, something written specifically, a language specifically for networking, P4, and that makes it portable. You need that portability. It doesn't have to be a container that's general purpose. It just has to be widely accepted. And provide an advantage, right? It's got to be be testable on on my system. I've got to be able to run it on my laptop. I run it on my my server. Right. That doesn't have to be. That doesn't have to be. That doesn't have to be Python. That can be a Python-like language. language. It just needs to be. You need to be able to virtualize it and containerize it and move it. It needs to be portable, not necessarily. The, what we use today. I'd like to see this this uh, example of, of attaching an SSD to a GPU directly and it speeds up some process other than search. I'll send you a link other to that uh, video. Is, is there, it, it was, uh, other than search, it, this was just, it, again, it's, this is a consumer level YouTube channel and yeah, I was yeah, yeah. surprised to stumble along, along it, but it was really, really clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got friends in the crypto biz that might want something like this. <laughs> to do some mining yeah, exactly huh? if it if it helps and i don't know i know how profitable that is anymore, yeah i know they're they're all remote well well all... speak speaking of that there was uh there were talks at the flash memory summit on uh time and space based uh cryptocurrencies in particular chia there was a uh, uh, people from chia then this actually uses storage yeah i know i've got mining. a friend of mine that's got a petabyte of chia running yeah, and the, and the whole idea behind that is it doesn't take as much processing. It takes doesn't space. take as much energy either. It doesn't take as much energy as a consequence. Yeah. 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 So you generate uh, your field with SSDs, which does you know it's fairly intensive. Speed. But then you let them sit on hard right. disk drives, and you look for matches, and someone else generates the same thing. Then you get your coin. I'm trying to convince my so, friend to use Made or something like that, so they could actually power it down unless it's actually usable. You needed, but I don't think he's convinced yet. Now another thing at the Flash Memory Summit was that there was a we've uh, uh, had a whole uh, a session on DNA storage, and uh, that's a, you know interesting technology probably five years out or more before something happens. Oh God, but I think it's got to be at least there, a decade time. Come on, it doesn't it, it operates be, on the order of hours, be. right? I mean, if it takes me an hour to write a byte of data, it's not going to happen. Well, except that uh, there's a lot of stuff because of the biomedical applications that's speeding up the ability to. Uh, uh, to read and write uh, genetic information. So, so there, there's a whole there's, different uh, driver of ecosystem for that, you're saying. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. So that has to be taken into account, is that this uh, it, this is storing what we are. It's got to be milliseconds, right? Tom. If it can get down to read and write in milliseconds, talk to me. But it's not there yet. That's, it's it's, it's orders of the magnitude, yet. maybe four or five <laughs> away from that. Well, what's interesting? What's interesting is there actually there's silicon-based devices that people are building for uh, for doing DNA storage, which makes the possibility of uh, doing something quickly conceivable. 
it's a ways off, but, uh, and what we're probably looking at is competition to tape and optical, yeah, yeah. you know, for archiving, archiving applications. It's not going to be. These things don't go away, Tom. They just, they just kind of move their niche down or up or over or something like that. Yeah. So performance SSDs, you know, came out <laughs> came out and then killed off performance disk and just moved down to a level, you know, near, near line and stuff like that. These things never go away, Tom. They just move. It was, and it just talks to you about the whole value of uh, information in the modern age is that um, all these different ways to store information that do trade off between cost and performance. Um, information is what drives our modern industry, is what enables a lot of things to happen. And so all these things continue to exist because they're useful yeah. to some people. I was in one, I'm going I'm to write a blog post about this. I was in one session, keynote session, and the gentleman mm -hmm. there said, you know, we're, we're creating, you know, literally 22.7 exabytes of data a year, but only 10% of that, of that is being stored. Because mostly it's, it's uh, data that needs to be processed real time to be useful. For instance, I've got sensors on a car. The car has to decide, uh, am I going to hit something uh, or not? If that data yeah. needs to be processed in real time to be useful. It can be processed offline and still be useful. The data is data that can be used. I don't care if it if it's real time and thrown away. If it's real time and thrown away, we're missing something. We as an industry well, are not doing what we need to do. Well, but think of it. You know, I've got cameras on my car. My car is trying to make a decision: Am I going off my lane, or am I uh, am I going to hit somebody? And should I apply the brakes? That's got to be processed locally. It's got to be processed fast. But it's not necessarily going to be kept long term. But the results may be kept long term. Tom. Don't you or, think using yeah. that data to better fine tune the the AI algorithms that are driving your car? You know, don't you think that? Yeah, you know, even even if it only means personalizing uh, it to Tom the driver, <laughs> you know that uh -huh. sort of stuff. I, I so what we need is real time real time uh, uh, AI training capabilities that are built into these devices, which probably means a lot more memory and, <laughs> and storage. <laughs> Uh, we all uh, bring it back to storage and memory. Okay, okay. I see where you guys are going with this. <laughs> so, Keith, give me that link. I will send it to you because it's a uh, YouTube. Yeah, so, Keith, any last questions for Tom before we close? Uh, you know, one last question. You're a standards guy. The mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how we're driving towards kind of this uh, nirvana that Ray would like to see of just standards around not just the storage interfaces, but the underlying compute that's, that's uh, driving it. Oh, that's an interesting one too, because uh, another thing that uh, the Debendra Shah uh, Das uh, Sharma from uh, Intel was giving a talk on CXL and um, CXL, as well as something called uh, the uh, UCIE, which is this chiplet interconnect technology both again use PCIe. PCIe uh, is kind of becoming the universal interface, but it's allowing new ways in which we can combine uh, process elements and um, other other elements um, with different lithographies into a, uh, a, a semi into a composite semiconductor device. And that's uh, a lot of that's this two D integration right now, which is simply I've got uh, connected little chiplets, but also driving into uh, the what they call heterogeneous integration, where they can make stacks of chips um, and even go into things that are like totally a 3D um, stack structure with via uh, very thin wafers with back uh, connections, 
uh, vias to go through to and just do amazing things in much, much smaller spaces, allowing us to make um, uh, hopefully standardized standards-based technology that would underlie everything all all the way from consumer devices um, to uh, enterprise and uh, data center applications. So I think there's some fascinating things that are going on uh, that that will that are going to be fundamentally ch and driven a lot by the by the slowing down of Moore's law that uh, it's driven um, uh, new forms of creativity and how we can continue the pace of uh, uh, Pro of uh, increased processing capabilities, so, you know, and so, it's a, so something like this would be multiple, let's say, CPUs with multiple cores each, kind of either attached in a two D, two D mesh or something like that, or even a, even a three D and a two D mesh kind of thing, all connected through UEI. That's what's possible. That, that's possible. What's driving it right now is. Uh, that uh, the uh, finer lith lithographic features, say five nanometers or smaller, are getting incredibly expensive. The uh, EUV uh, lithography equipment to make these things is over, you know, so it must be like $150 million to buy one of these things. And so uh, the idea lab, is that I... <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the idea well, sitting, is folk, sitting, sitting right under my Elytra storage yeah. array. Yeah. <laughs> so focus the, the use of that technology on logic, for example, which which could benefit most from it. And then, for instance, my memory may be running at um, a more relaxed lithography, less expensive to make. It's a little separate chip, but it has a very very fast interconnect. Very local, very interfast interconnect between so that like and SRAM the processor or something chip. like that, or or. Could be, could be SRAM, could be MRAM, could be all manner of different yeah, things yeah, that you yeah. can potentially do with this. And I can, and I can, uh, they're building standards so I can take these chiplets that come from different manufacturers, put them together and they will function together. That's, that's an ideal behind it, which if you can do that, it creates this underlying structure that would go into all of our IT equipment, into consumer devices, um, into, into everything that would, again, enhance our ability uh, to store and process information and do it at much more localized levels, for example. That's amazing. It's, uh, it's like it's like taking a server and shrinking it down to a chip. Well, I, I love this idea of disaggregating and then composability. And that's kind of, we're taking that to another level. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bizarre, bizarre. All right, uh, Tom, is there anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close? Oh, sure. Well, it's, it's uh, glad to be able to talk to you folks. I hope you keep in mind the Flash Memory Summit in 2023. We're going to start uh, doing our call for papers uh, in January of 2020, early January 2023. Um, it's going to be again at Santa Clara Convention Center. I believe the dates are going to be August uh, 8th through the 11th. And um, also, uh, I've been an IEEE volunteer and I'm running for IEEE president this year. And for any of you that are IEEE members, I urge you to go out and vote. <laughs> Voting starts today. No kidding. August 15th. Oh, yes. God. Well, good for you. Good for you. Well, that's it for now. Bye, Tom. Thank you very much, folks. Good to talk to you. Bye, Keith. Until next time. Next time, we will talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out.